Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So what we're doing this week is we are, for the last week, this week, and next week, we're going through the Roots Community Church, um, kind of our vision statement, our mission statement, which is helping people grow deep roots into Christ, connect to community, and live God's purposes. And so we're going through that, not because, hey, we're planning a church and we need to go through all that stuff at the beginning. <clears throat> we're going through a lot of this because it's, it, the, the, the foundation of it is very scriptural. And it's something that we need to be pursuing in our own lives as we, um, as we grow closer together and grow cl- closer with the Lord. And so this week, we're gonna, last week was growing deeper roots into Christ. This week is going to be um, connecting to community. That's what the message is going to be about this week. <clears throat> and so when I was thinking about this connecting to community and doing my initial study and research and, and diving into what, what community really means, because if you go to churches um, a lot like, well, like I do and have been raised in church, community is like a thing that everybody wants to have, but it's kind of this undefined thing, right? Like it's, we, we want to have home groups or cell groups or life groups or whatever, but <clears throat> there's not really any understanding, at least from my perspective, of what really, truly having community really was. So when I got into my study, I tried to find the first time anywhere in Scripture that all the believers of Christ got together, joined together, <clears throat> and started having meetings and forming this biblical form of community together. This happened right after um, Christ had died. He's been resurrected. He has appeared to, depending on what scholar or theologian and historian you talk to, between 85 and several hundred people. It's rock solid, another bit of rock solid evidence why we know Jesus actually um, rose from the dead and evidence for our faith, actually. But after that happens, he appears to the disciples and he ascends into heaven, right? So one of the things that he, that he says to his disciples before he ascends is this, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So all the disciples and the soon-to-be apostles and some of their followers, about 120 of them, go to what we know as, as Christian people, or if you read the Bible in the, old, in the older language, it's called the upper room. <clears throat> it's called the upper room because there was a house and it had a room on top and a room on bottom, and they met in the one on the top, and so it was the upper room of the house. So there you go, like, like it's, it's profound, right? Like the upper room. <clears throat> so they met in the upper room and they waited there for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. He was poured out. Um, the scripture says there was like a sound of a rushing mighty wind. There was like almost like little bits or dollops or tongues of fire on every person that they kind of saw as like a physical evidence. And then something crazy happened. Everybody in the house began to speak in other tongues. This is not what it's how I was raised, like the, you know, like tongues, like, you know, your heavenly prayer language, all that, that is something. This particular instance was other languages. This would be like if we walked out of this room after the Holy Spirit hit and me, a redneck from the South, walks out speaking Mandarin instead of the, you know, the English that I was, uh, was, was raised with, which was, you know, kind of shady English (laughs) regardless. And, you know, I know that, that it would be like you walking out speaking French, you know what I mean? It would be like you walking out speaking Japanese. And we have no training in any of this. Do you have training in French or Japanese? I don't think so, right? <clears throat> His wife says, oh, no. Um, so it's like we would walk out here and speak in these languages, and people who were traveling all around walked up to this group of people who were speaking these other languages like, y'all are Jews, man. 
what are y'all doing speaking all these other languages? And it was just another evidence that the Holy Spirit was about to push the disciples and the apostles and everyone out to the nations to preach the gospel. So at this point, that night, the same day that happened, about 3,000 people get saved. They become believers that single day. They become believers. They become filled with the Holy Spirit. They become saved, born again, and they are now trying to live a life with Christ. From that day forward, the scripture says, every day after that, more were being added to their number because they were being saved. So now you have this big, huge moment. 3,000 people that live in this area, you know, over in the Middle East are now gathering together. Um, they, they all believe in the resurrection of Christ, what he stood for. They're listening to the apostles' teaching, and then the apostles start going out, and they start doing their thing. And now there's 3,000 people, these 3,500 people, these 4,000 people, as the numbers begin to grow, they're here going, what do we do now? And so what we're going to read here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 which is on your notes there. We're going to read this together and see what they started doing. This is the first, <clears throat> this is the first real um, time in Scripture we see where people start gathering together. And it says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing meals. Hallelujah, that's a big one. There's got to be a barbecue in there somewhere. And to prayer. <clears throat> so these are the four things they started gathering together and committing to. Right. So the first number on your on your notes there, the first blank there for you to fill in is number one. It's the first point. The Christian community of believers was committed to fellowship, committed to fellowship. Oh, you can't see that. (laughs) Just look at your wife's paper. There you go. There you go. Committed to fellowship. Now, of all of these four things that they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to meals, and to prayer. All of these seem kind of self-explanatory. The apostles' teaching, they're listening to what they're saying, they're learning, they're responding, they're following that, that the guidelines are set up before them. They're sharing in meals, pretty easy. Prayer, pretty easy. But this and to fellowship is one I went, let's pull out our tool from last week. What does that mean? And so I started digging into this word fellowship. The word fellowship here in the original writing of the Bible is the word koinonia. This word means intimate fellowship, like relational fellowship, right? This is not that kind of community, but intimate relational fellowship, community, and association. So the next line on your notes there is community. So intimate fellowship, community, and association. So this is kind of where we get this goal for us as a, as a church, as a body of believers, as, as a local expression of, of the, the global church to make priority the, the idea of community. So the second part of the RCC mission statement, which is on your, the next line for you, is there connect to community. Connect to community. Those three spaces right there. So the root of this word community in our English language comes from the Latin word communitas, okay? Communitas. It has two sections. It's really important. I'm not trying to give you like a, you know, this is not back to English in college or high school, right? But it, it really helps us define this word. So the first part of this word, com, in the communitas, signifies with, together, 
in conjunction or joined. The second part of the word, the munis, means to fortify, strengthen, or defend. So community by definition is people strengthened together. Joining together to fortify, defend, or strengthen a position. Or if you're a Golden State Warrior fan, you've seen this on a t-shirt the last four or five years, strength in numbers. That's actually one of the, a really good representation of what community is. Strength in numbers. <clears throat> so when we talk about we're trying to form community, we're trying to connect to community, we're trying to get an, uh, an, these intimate relationships together that would help us as we join together to be stronger in our faith in Christ, stronger in what we're going through in life, how to endure the struggles and the problems of everyday life. And we're trying to defend our faith, to strengthen each other, to fortify our belief, to help, um, help everybody together move forward in their understanding and relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to do with community. This, was that, this idea was the original community of believers they were committed to. This is what they were committed to. It requires, and those next two lines on your, on your notes are this, it requires determination and commitment. It requires determination and commitment to build the lengthy relationships that are implied in Scripture. Number two, the body of believers, the, this group, this community of believers, number two, was, the next two lines, not perfect. Was not perfect. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. We just read Acts 2.42. Let's jump, let's read past that into uh, verse 43. Ready? A deep sense of awe came over all of them, all the believers. And, all the, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold, all their, prop, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So we see here, they're all getting together. They have this deep sense of awe that overcomes them. God didn't come to make bad, or Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive and bridge the gap between us and God, which we cannot do on our own. He reconciles us to Christ. That is what he's doing. And this awe and this sense and this understanding starts to come over these group of believers and they start to go around and and their moral compass starts to shift the way they're thinking starts to shift and they're being less self-absorbent and more caring about their fellow man especially the people who are in their community okay so that's where we're at then it goes we, we jump two chapters in acts chapter 4 verse 32 and they take it to another level all the believers were united in heart and mind Man, I'd love to see that. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. 
because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. You remember from later in the Bible, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, this is him. His name means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought money to the apostles. So what you're finding here is that the, 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 the people who are in the biblical community, if they have more than one home and they only need one, they sell it and they bring it so that none of the other believers are in need. They want the apostles to distribute the money. Barnabas here, he has multiple fields. He doesn't need one of them. He sells one of them and brings the money back because they're all concerned about the well-being of the other believers and the other people in their community. <clears throat> all good, right? So why is the, the number two point was not perfect? Chapter 6. This is all going on. Ready? And here we go. Chapter 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. This gives me such great encouragement. Because if the people who walked and talked with Jesus saw him die and resurrect from the dead, had instructions for him, were there when he fed the 5,000, when he walked on water, when he calmed the storm, you know, they ran interference for him, when he went off in the, behind the trees to the restroom or whatever, you know, because they're all real people, right? Like, so they're doing all this with him, and those people started a church, and people were griping to them, I am glad that I, I'm, I have some relief that I don't have to be perfect, right? It takes the pressure off of me. Takes the pressure off of us. The community was not perfect. Why? Because there's people involved in it. And people are going to be people until they continue to submit unsubmitted parts of their heart to God. It's going to happen. So that next line on your notes is this. The believe, this group of believers was being pastored by the actual disciples and apostles disciples and apostles of Christ. And those next two lines are, and they still had issues. They still had issues. Even though they still had issues, even though they still had issues, this sense of awe and giving permeated them, even with imperfect people. And so the lesson for us here more than the everybody go sell everything you're having we're going to go try to feed a couple of poor people or whatever no that's not the main issue here the main issue here is the heart changed they were less selfish they were more about their fellow believer in christ their brother and sister in christ there was a shift of trying to there were so many absorbent uh, exorbitant taxes from the romans and especially if you were in an occupied territory like they were, they were taxed through the nose so many times. It was such a dishonest thing. That's why they hated tax collectors. They had to give taxes to Caesar himself to say he is sovereign and he's our king. They hated doing this. And in the midst of all of this hatred, they're still trying to carve out a life for themselves. They go, what I have is not my own. That is a heart condition change more than just a, well, I guess I'll sell my car and bring it back to the apostle here. No, 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 no. It's a heart change. 
because they loved God and they loved the people they were with. This last, this last, um, the last line for this one um, on your blanks there for the, on your notes is this. We are to operate in love, grace, and understanding. Love, grace, and understanding for each other. Number three. The community of believers generously, this is your first one, and sacrificially served each other. Point number three. Generously and sacrificially served each other. <clears throat> Listen to what Paul is telling the church, the body of believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Don't just pretend to, to love others, really love them. We could just stop right there and camp out for a whole like series on like a sermon series, right? Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Here we go. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Peter, addressing more churches in the area, wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, fellow believers, for love covers a multitude of sins. He knew the community was going to be imperfect. He knew people were going to be people. They were going to say stupid stuff and be dumb and, 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 and be impossible at some points. But he's saying most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for that love for each other covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those in need of a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another well. Let me say that again. Use them to serve one another well. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you will do will bring glory to God through Christ Jesus. What, he's dry, what both Peter and Paul are driving home is you need to show love to each other. Be willing to help each other. I can't believe the, the verbiage in, in, the, in the one in Romans when he said, or um, in Peter, where he says, the end of the world's coming soon. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. So he's talking about the end of the world. He's talking about being prayerful and disciplined. And then he says, then most important of all, he's driving home the point that we have to have love, grace, compassion for each other. We have to show that to the world, but first we have to show it to the people who are in our biblical spiritual community, other believers in Christ. Number four. The next line for you on point number four. Ready? Bearing one another's burdens. <clears throat> Bearing one another's burdens. 
I'm going to read this one in the King James Version. So if, apologize for going back to the old English for you on this one. But I did this specifically on purpose. Um, especially in our culture, you find a lot of people who go, oh, there's all these inconsistencies in the Bible, and it says this one place, and this another place, and this one place, and this another place. And all of these things are tired arguments, right? They've all been addressed, and they've all been um, uh, resoundly um, decided that there's no contradictions in Scripture. This is just more people who, are, who don't, don't, haven't done the research talking publicly. But this is one of the scriptures that looks like it has a contradiction. So I wanted to deal with it directly here, even in this context. Okay, so let's read this. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, let, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Stop. Verse 2, it should be highlighted on your paper there. Bear ye one another's burdens. Number five, verse 5, every man bear his own burden. How in the world are we supposed to bear... Isn't that like a direct contradiction? He said one thing, like bear each other's burdens, and the next one is like bear your own burden. So since we already know there's no contradictions in Scripture, I went to the, 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 the original language again and found out what these words mean. The word burden in verse 2 and verse 5 are two different words. They were translated in English as the same word, and you'll see why, but they're two different words in the original language, and let's look at them real quick. That word bear means to take up, almost like putting a bag on your shoulder, a backpack on your shoulder, take up in order to carry, support, or sustain. Okay? The word burden, baros, means heaviness, weight, and trouble. Incidentally, when I eat at Baro's Pizza, I leave heavier with added weight, and I'm fearing that the trouble I'm going to have after my digestion is over. But that's just, you know, beside the point. Anyway, so this scripture with the definitions means this. Support and help carry each other in their times of heaviness and, tri and trouble. Support and carry each other and help carry. Support and help carry each other in their times of heaviness and trouble. Okay, verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. So the bear is the same word, but the burden is the word portion, P-H-O-R-T-I-O-N. It means the freight of a ship, the cargo or load. Okay? So verse 5, with the definitions, when we put the definitions, it reads like this. Every man shall carry the weight of his own load like a ship carries his own cargo. So the difference between verse 5 is everyone is responsible to carry your life's load. That is what you're responsible to do. You're on the journey, the ship is on the journey. You have cargo, you have people on board, you're supposed to care for those people. In the event you run into trouble, verse 2 has a provision for you in the community. 
we are supposed to help bear each other's burdens when you get into a moment of trouble and are unable to fulfill what verse 5 says. It doesn't mean that we create a kind of welfare thing where people are always coming back to us for, for money. It is supposed to be, you're supposed to be trying to get on your feet to make your way through life. But we as the community in moments of trouble and hardship should come in and give the assistance that we can to each other. This is biblical community. Make sense? Biblical community. <clears throat> Number five. The biblical community confessed sins, confessed sins, and prayed for each other. Confessed sins and prayed for each other. James 5, 19 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When I grew up in church, there was 0% chance this was happening for me. None. Confessing my sins to you and asking you to pray for me in the midst of my sin was out of the question. Zero chance that was happening. Why? Because I was raised in this legalistic framework to where if you did anything wrong and you didn't follow one of the Jesus rules, right? Like they're laid out, they gave you the little side eye. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, what are you doing? And if you were to tell them what you did, the look and appearance of disgust that would overwhelm them would be like, oh, well, I'll pray for you. And then slowly back away. Right? Like, and then they would go and never, you'd never see them again. You'd see them in the hallway and they'd be waving and be like, and move along. There was no room for this, and I may be alone, but my guess is probably not, in churches. Now, the opposite side of this I have experienced. I walked into a place, I don't even remember when it was, but I walked into a church and, and I won't use his real name. I don't think I remember his real name, but this guy was standing there and he stuck out his hand and said, Hi, welcome to church. What's your name? And I said, My name's Matt. And then, what do you do? What's your name? Right? Like, just polite. And he goes, Hi, my name's like Bob or something. And I'm like, Oh, he goes, I haven't looked at pornography in 41 days. And I went, It's good to meet you, Bob. I'm going to go to the bathroom and wash my hands and wash my ears out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking about doing that where you just run up to somebody and just be like, look at what I've been doing. You know, I'm not saying that either. <clears throat> what I'm saying is there has to be a level of trust that is built with us as believers, with each other, not just the guy speaking or the guy with the role of pastor or whatever, 
with each other so that you know each other well enough to where you walk up and go, man, listen, I am struggling with fill in the blank. Is there any way you can pray for me? And without him looking at me and going, God, what are you struggling? What? You struggle with that? Like, get away from me, right? When there's a relationship, which is implied here in the scripture, from the beginning, this intimate relationship, this community together, I should be able to come to you and go, I'm married, but I'm struggling with lustful thoughts of other people at my job. And somebody look at you and go, how can I help you? Realizing I don't want to be struggling with this. And if you have a struggle, you, it's not because you are flawed or you are incapable of finding scripture or are living up to the, the standard that Christ has set for us. It is because you are ready human. And God never told us to be superhuman. He was the one who filled that role. He never said that to us. This one is this confessing our sins and praying for each other is the one I'm most excited about and most nervous about at the same time because it's going to require the, the, the confession that comes to you, the confession that comes to you, to you, to you, to me, to die with me. The only way I'm giving you permission to trump that is if somebody's going, I'm planning to end my life. Then all hands on deck. I, 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 I'm sorry, we're going to break the promise on that one. Because we're going to try to come and do anything we can to surround you with help. You as a community do not have to have the answer for every problem that comes along. Our job, it did not say, make sure you know every answer to give to every person who has a problem. Because when someone says, I'm dealing with depression, you may not know what to say. But what you can do is like, what do you need from me? What can I do to help you? Do you need me to call you every morning? I commit to call you because this level of community is not just, oh, let's come to my life group. No. It's I'm invested in Kenny's success. I'm in not just success in business. Fine. There's more important things than that. Do we hear that in the scripture? We have to be committed to have that level of trust and vulnerability with each other to say, I'm dealing with this. Can you please pray for me? And someone step in and without this condemnation, judgment, say, you know you're wrong. And guess what? I've been wrong too. Let me pray for you, brother. And if whatever you need from me, I'm there for you. And if I can't do it, I'm going to at least point you to somebody who can try to help. We will not have every answer for every struggle. But I guarantee you what we will do as a body of believers and as a church organization going forward is do our very best to get you whatever help you would need. Some of the help will require counseling. I've been. It's really helped me. Some of it, I just needed to sit in a room with three other guys that I built trust with and go, this is what I'm struggling with. Can you just pray for me and help me? 
and offer another perspective because I'm in the hole I need out. Is the idea of the community starting to take shape? This is what we're committing to with other believers. Last but not least. The body of believers, the community of believers was committed to be together. Committed to be together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've also been in some places where, and I've had heard at conferences and places, this similar scripture, right? Like, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which in an indirect way was, boy, you better not miss church next week. Right? So my family went every time the doors were open, and we went when the doors weren't open just to make sure they weren't open because we weren't supposed to miss or forsake assembling ourselves together, right? We were on it with that stuff. If we were out of town, I had to go find in the yellow pages. If you don't know what those are, you are a child. Um, if you don't know, but we had to go find it or, look, or Google it. It was our old way of Googling it, right? Um, it was all alphabetical, and there were yellow pages. And we would go and look for the church that was affiliated with our denomination to make sure we went because we weren't supposed to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Do you think, after what we've just talked about and the heart that has been behind the community, that this is what the Scripture is saying? No. This Scripture is saying, don't back away from the group. Because isolation is a place where you're easily tempted, distracted, and picked off. It is unbelievably sometimes, for me, I'll speak for myself, it's unbelievably hard and embarrassing to stand in front of people and say, I struggled with fill in the blank. Hard for me to do that. But when I did that, there was a lightness that hit me and a burden that was thrown off of me and a when we brought something to the light, it was embarrassing for about five seconds. And then I went, and no one jumped on me and shot me or screamed at me or yelled at me or told me what of a horrible person I was. They looked at me and said, oh, man, I've struggled with some stuff like that, too. And the embarrassment of it faded away. And I went into a place where there was some help. Most of the people that I ask advice from that are the wise people that are in the community of believers I've built up time with over the years never tell me what to do. They point me back to Scripture. They tell me what God's done for them. Remind me what God's done for me. And they say, go back to Him and find your answer. I think it's pretty ironic that this week in particular, um, I got a message from 
a guy I've known for years. And it was a written message and he was talking about how he wished that, you know, we were closer in relationship than we were. And <clears throat> he said that there was a time in his life where he felt like the Lord brought our paths across each other and he was so hurt, so frustrated, so angry, you know, and so tired and, and, and with his church and with his job and all that kind of stuff, he just was resistant to it. And he said a line in the thing in his message to me that I really identified with, which was my issue. He said, instead of, he goes, when I faced the problem and allowed others to disappoint me, I withdrew into myself instead of looking to God and for the relationships he put in front of me to try to offer some healing. And I sat there and I went, man, I have done that. I have been frustrated, angry, hurt, mad, all of it, betrayed, wounded, to the point where I, I pulled back from anybody in the community of believers and said, I'm going to be over here because I need to figure some things out because there's some pain when I walk over here with y'all. And I'm sure I'm probably not the only one who's experienced that. But when that guard came down for me, and I took the chance to obey scripture and bridge the gap for those relationships, there was healing, there was love, there was grace, there was change that I never could have felt on my own. The last part in your notes is this. We cannot move in isolation. We cannot move in isolation. We must connect to community. We must connect to community. <clears throat> If tonight you look around this room and think about there ain't none of y'all I want to connect with, <laughs> you got to do one of two things. Determine if that is you, hurt, angry, frustrated like me and like my friend, and take a step and a risk past that, not at my behest, not at my encouragement, but from Scripture. Or, if God leads you to another church, wonderful. Connect to the community. Connect to the community. We would love for you to connect here, but we also understand that God's going to move people, push people in directions, open doors for other things. Fine. This is not a closed fist place. It's an open-handed place because you don't belong to me. You 
are his. My job as the under shepherd is to lead, to feed, to help provide some, uh, some leadership, to, to teach you God's word. But ultimately, if God says, hey, I want you to stop over at RCC at this house for a couple of weeks and then go somewhere else, fine. No problem. Please follow the scripture that says connect to community. It is risky. It is messy. It is not an exact science, but it is beautiful. It is encouraging. There is strength when we get together. When me and Nina sit on the keyboard and, and the piano and play ourself, there's a great presence. When Chippy and Tina jump in it and everybody else is in the room. There's just something that pushes us up. Why? Because it's God's design for us to be together in relationship, true relationship and community. This is not community. How are you? Good to see you. You have a good week? Yeah, me too, man. Cool. We'll see together sometime. All right. See you. That's not community. That's polite. Yes, we want polite to stay, but sometimes relationally, we get past all the introductory stuff and go, what can I pray with you for, brother? What can I do for you? Are you all right? You're good? Okay, so then me and you, which are good, we're going to go over here. Kenny, we're going to get him. <laughs> do you need help, brother? Because we're here for you. You see what I mean? That has to be what's going on here. Let's take the idea of church, community, let's come over and do it. No, throw it out and go back to what the scripture says and say, it's supposed to be the body of believers together, sharing together, helping one another, bearing each other's burdens, committed to fellowship, being together, sacrificially giving to each other and serving each other with the gifts that God has given us.